0: Indulge me for a moment, brothers and sisters. For those of you who have known the Shellnuts for more than a year, you know most of about about what I'm about to tell you. Yet, as we all no doubt have had, I have had a moment this particular week in which I was just struck by how much has happened in my life, in the life of uh, Joni, myself, and Nadine, over the past some 51 weeks, I believe. On Easter Sunday, amazingly, fittingly, one year ago, the divine, and dare I say, in light of Psalm 91, the angelic protection of our daughter was something that we never would have dreamed would have happened. A year ago this Sunday, our daughter slipped on the pavement in Brooklyn. Her feet slipped out from under her into the road, her legs shooting out into the street, and she was run over by a 6,000-pound SUV. Both legs. Both legs just above The knees. The hours after that are etched upon our minds and our hearts. When they talk about hospitals in New York City now on the news, I have faces that flash before me. I think of the hospital in Brooklyn, I think of St. Luke's at Mount Sinai on the upper west side of Manhattan, Mount Sinai, the very hospital that Samaritan's Purse is partnering with in its field hospital in Central Park. I have visions that pass through my mind of nurses, of doctors, of EMTs, of emergency rooms. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon all those who labor in such hospitals. Miraculously, Nadine lives. Miraculously, Nadine has the use of both of her legs. Miraculously, not a bone was broken. Many of you lived with us through that. Many of you held us up with your prayers with your love, and with your support. How can the shellnuts ever thank you sufficiently? We can't. But then came the bills. One bill, and another bill, and another bill, and another bill. How do we handle these bills? What do we do? And then through the suggestion of a, a Christian lawyer friend, an ARP a friend, brother in Christ, we were connected to a lawyer in Long Island, a Christian lawyer, who just so happened to have known a couple of the young men who've been a part of our congregation as they've been students at Davidson College. What a glorious blessing that man has been to us. Didn't charge us a dime. Then came the loss of the courtesies and the search for others to help us continue ministry here, a time of losing and a time of, of gaining, of loved ones serving elsewhere and loved ones now serving here with us. At the end of the summer, we then moved Nadine up to, yes, you guessed it, New York City to an apartment, an apartment in the apartment building that faces the street in which she got run over. Then a fairly calm early fall, followed then by a miserable night in the ER, and yet two more kidney stone procedures. And then right when it looks as if things were ready to smooth themselves into some sense of normalcy, I find myself with all of you and with the world right in the middle of a worldwide life-altering pandemic. 51 weeks to be precise. You know, a lot can happen in 51 weeks. A lot can happen that is so disorienting. What in the world is going on in the life of the shellnuts? What in the world is going on in all of our lives? If that's the case, imagine, if you will, with me, singing Hosanna and waving palm branches on a Sunday and what, five days later, Being bewildered by the scene we have described for us by Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. I'd ask you to look there. Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23. We read these words. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. It's fairly commonplace on a Palm Sunday in churches such as ours to speak about the fickleness of crowds going from Sunday crying out, Hosanna, save us, to shouting crucify Him. I mean, we've, we've prayed something along those lines already together this morning. And that preaches an, a, a nice Warning, but I'm not sure that it's altogether a full picture of the crowds that were gathered on Palm Sunday to greet Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem. We aren't certain that all those crying Hosanna on Sunday were then shouting and spitting, crucify him on Friday. Some no doubt were, but I'm hesitant to say all were. This morning, I'd like for you to consider that someone who was crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. On Sunday, was doing so because their heart had been changed by sovereign grace to see this prophet Jesus truly as the Messiah. I want not you consider that person, that brother or sister in Christ, who had from the heart sincerely and by grace cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Consider them. Consider those who had legitimately, who had sincerely cried unto the Lord Jesus as their Messiah. Then on Friday... At the edge of the crowd, that riled up angry mob, imagine our brothers and sisters on the edge of that crowd hearing that angry mob cry, crucify him. Imagine as they they heard that cry, that blood-curdling cry, looking with dismay upon their fellow citizens, looking up at Jesus, looking up no doubt at Barabbas, looking up at... At Pilate and and feeling heartbroken. More than that, being bewildered, disoriented. How had it gone wrong so terribly wrong so quickly? How could this have happened to, to our Messiah? The one that we were hoping would save us. And yes, as Nathan has said, save us from from the Romans. Those who've had their, their boot or their sandal on our neck for so long. Imagine that brother or sister at the edge of that crowd. Bewildered, dismayed. If I'm bewildered by all that has happened to the Sheldon's in 51 weeks... It's even harder to imagine what they were feeling. What my brothers and sisters, what your brothers and sisters in Christ were feeling then and feeling there. All of our lives have been turned upside down. What we have been relying on so commonly, be it our jobs or the relative safety in which we have experienced just going out doing our everyday business, or our our freedom to move about the country as we might like, or across the world as we might like, Or, or, or maybe our retirement plans. Whatever we have relied on, what we've been relying on, all that seems so more fragile today than it did 51 weeks ago. And it can be, no, strike that. It is disorienting, bewildering. Now think about your brothers and sisters living in Jerusalem during Passion Week. They had placed their faith, their hopes, in this man from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee, this prophet. Prophet, yes, but a prophet that they now have become convinced was the Messiah. The Messiah, their Savior their deliverer, their restorer, the restorer of Israel. Their emotional and their spiritual capital had been heavily invested in this man. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And yet now they were hearing at the edge of that crowd, crucified. How could it have all gone so wrong so quickly? How could he now save them? How was getting executed going to do it? Dear ones, these past three Sundays, if you've been with us, I've been saying that Psalm 91, that cheerful psalm, that encouraging psalm gives us divine answers to what we should do in the face of a COVID-19 pandemic. Today I'm going to say that the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew's account of of Holy Week and of Easter does as well. As we reflect upon these two passages, the, the, the march or the ride into Jerusalem on Sunday and then the crowds crying, crucify Him, on friday as we reflect on these two uh, passages and what we have read and on what had taken place between the two passages in the lives of our brothers and sisters so long ago what message should we take away after all that that week was of special significance right Can, can it speak to what you and I are facing today? Can can we legitimately apply it to, to our circumstances in the here and now? I think so. Because you see, the Messiah who rode into Jerusalem is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, and He reigns ultimately over the entire cosmos. And so I think this very much has application to us. What lessons can we learn? I want us to consider just two This morning, briefly. As we think about these disoriented, these confused disciples, what can we learn from them? This is the first thing. Though they were disoriented, Jesus was not. Though they were bewildered, Jesus was not. Though they couldn't figure it out, Jesus knew exactly what was happening as He pursued the will of the Father. He knew exactly what riding into Jerusalem meant. Remember, remember what he had told his disciples as he descended from the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 just a few weeks back. We were in that chapter. Turn back there with me, Matthew 17. Remember what Jesus told his disciples then. He's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have beheld something of His glory and His majesty. And now as He comes down, notice verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked Him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And then to make the point even clearer, notice verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Jesus knew exactly what He was doing as He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, So long ago, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing as he stood bound by Pilate and before the angry mob, whose anger was stoked by the chief priests and the elders, and they cried out, Crucify him. Even his passivity was active, even in his bonds, he was actively moving toward the cross toward the cross and believer in the Lord Jesus Christ he was actively moving towards the cross on your behalf on my behalf he knew exactly what he was doing as he rode in to Jerusalem to die do this this week Read Matthew chapter 21 through Matthew chapter 27. Read John chapters 13 through John chapter 19. Read those chapters. And as you read, ask yourself this question. Who's in control? Who's in control in these stories of this Passion Week, of this Holy Week? Who is in control? Is Jesus the victim of of chance? Is Jesus the victim of the, of the whims of sinful men? Or is he in control, even in control of the sinful actions of which men are responsible? Let me give you a hint. still want you to read the chapters, but let me give you a hint. What did Jesus say to Judas in the upper room? What you're going to do, do quickly. Who's in control, brothers and sisters? Jesus was in control. Grace-enabled believers in Jesus, the Messiah, was in control. Grace-enabled believers can be disoriented. They can be bewildered. They can be confused. They can be uncertain. But their Messiah and our Messiah wasn't. And dear ones, He isn't confused, disoriented, or bewildered by COVID-19. As our Savior and Lord ruled over and, and even used the human evil of one like Judas, or the human evil of the angry mob crying out, crucify Him. If Jesus ruled over and, and, and even used uh, that moral evil in order that He might die in the place of His people on the cross and pay the penalty of our sin for your sin and also in the process crush the head of the serpent of Satan. If He could do that, then is it hard to believe That this very same Savior, Messiah, King can use and control even an unseen virus that plagues creation. And can use it for His glory and ultimately good ends for His people. Is that so hard to believe? Being bewildered and confused and uncertain is okay, child of God. Yet in your bewilderment, look to the one who knew exactly what he was doing as he rode into Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna. A dear sister in the Lord Jesus Christ that many of us know answered well when I asked her how she and her family were doing. She wrote, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Otherwise, the waves are pretty big. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Otherwise, the waves are pretty big. Dear ones, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. How do you do that? You do it by going to the Word, the Word, the written Word that always points us to the living Word, Jesus. Going to this Word daily, going to this Word and reading this Word and meditating upon this Word and putting ourselves under the preaching of this Word. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the first lesson, the important lesson that we can learn from our passages. One more for this morning and I'll Be brief. And yet it's a hugely important point. What can we learn from this disoriented group of brothers and sisters in Christ from so long ago? We can learn that they had an opportunity to repent. And so do we. The believers then were disoriented, though they couldn't figure out everything that was going on and why their Messiah was being turned over to Pilate and why their Messiah was moving towards the cross and being executed. Though they were disoriented and couldn't figure out, the calamity of that week, of those days, of those hours, gave them an opportunity to do what, brothers and sisters? It gave them an opportunity to, yes, cry out, save us, but to cry out in faith and in repentance. To repent as their their eyes were filled with tears, as their eyes, their tear-filled eyes were fixed on Jesus. As I think about those bewildered brothers and sisters so long ago, on the edge of that crowd that was crying out, crucify Him. I imagine them looking around at their fellow citizens in in dismay and probably disgust. How How could these, their fellow Jews, be so filled with hate at this one that they were placing their hopes in? How could they do that? It's easy for me to imagine. It's also easy for me to imagine our brothers and sisters also looking up at Barabbas and Pilate. And Jesus, and then focusing back on Pilate, Pilate, and thinking, oh no, not again. Oh no, not again with this wicked Roman. This same, you say, wicked and hated Pilate had. Slaughtered, or had his troops slaughter Galileans, mixing their blood with their sacrifices. He had slaughtered, had Galileans slaughtered in the midst of worship. We read this in Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Notice in that passage, Jesus doesn't or didn't explain the why of the personal and moral evil of Pilate and his troops. Notice that Jesus didn't explain the natural and seemingly accidental evil of tragedy, of a, of a tower falling in uh, Jerusalem. Instead, what does Jesus do? He brought the brevity of life into focus for each of His hearers. Unless they repented, unless we, Repent. Unless they were turning from sin, unless we are turning from sin, unless they were turning to Jesus, unless we are turning to Jesus, unless they and we are repenting, only death and eternal perishing await us. Are there world and national and Societal evils that are deserving of God's judgment? Brothers and sisters, you know the answer, yes. Don't don't you know it? How can we deny that fact when during this time of shelter in place, abortion clinics are seen as essential businesses? How can we deny the fact that there there are national, societal sins of which our nation is worthy of judgment? It's true. But always remember, in the face of calamity, judgment begins where? Judgment begins with the house of God. Judgment begins, not with Planned Parenthood, brothers and sisters. Judgment begins with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be the first, by God's grace, to repent. Today, right now, every calamity, dear ones, gives us opportunity to examine our lives and say, Oh Lord, here is my wicked and my vile sin. Forgive me. Remove it from me. Enable me to turn to Jesus in faith and follow after him in new obedience. That's the opportunity that is before us on this Palm Sunday. Repent. Repent. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who knows exactly what he's doing even with COVID-19 and a virtual virtual national and world shutdown. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. For the kingdom of Jesus is at hand. And cry out, by sovereign grace, sincerely and with faith in your heart, cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Save me, Messiah. Save us. In your homes, as you're watching this, as you're hearing this, would you make that your prayer? Hosanna. Save us. And all those who are dear, work your mighty grace through a mighty moving of your spirit, drawing men and women in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ for his glory and for their good. Let us pray. Before us, O Heavenly Father, is an opportunity not to fear to place our faith and trust in You. Before us is an opportunity to praise You, to seek You, and to repent of our sins. By means of Your sovereign grace, enable all of our hearts this day. Amen.